All right. You better be funny. (laughs) I don't know if I'm funny today. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we are talking wintry reads. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I'm good. I'm trying to stay warm. It's mm. it's chilly. It's, yeah, real chilly today. How are you? I'm good. Winter is here, like you said. Um, I've not really been outside, though, in the last month, so <laughs> <laughs> I am okay. You know, I'm doing good. We're just kind of getting back into the swing of things. I'm very much in a planning mode. I want to say a planning and organization mode, but that's not true. It's organization in my mind, you know? I'm like Mm, making big plans and stuff, so I'll have to start executing them soon. But it's the start of a new year. So I have been, though, doing pretty well with not eating out or not ordering coffee, like doing all of that at home. And that ties in really nicely to my loving lately. Mm -hmm. It is a creator. His name is Luke, and he is from Cooking in the Midwest. It's the most Midwest food website I've ever seen. He also has a huge TikTok presence. I was like, oh, maybe he has like 100,000. No, 2.5 million. Oh, wow. (laughs) Is that how you found him on TikTok? Yeah, I thought he was just my friend. Like, I'm like, oh, I like this guy. (laughs) No, everyone knows about him. But in case you don't, cooking in the Midwest, it's simple. It is simple ideas. And for me, the worst part about making dinner every night is coming up with new ideas. Like, what do you want to eat now? And I just love it. His food is simple and realistic. He's got kids too. And a lot of the time he'll be like, my kids love this or my kids ate this, you know. And for me, it's just about something that's semi-healthy, pretty healthy, something everyone will eat. My favorites so far have been (laughs) crockpot chicken spaghetti and crockpot beef sandwiches. And they both were just hits, very simple, easy to throw together. I would say if you're looking for comfort cooking inspiration, this is a good account to follow. It's also very Midwestern. He is not, the the photos aren't these beautiful overworked things. They're literally stuff that I would make for you if you came to my house. And I really appreciate that. I enjoy him very much. Sub loving lately. I want to remind people, any list, any list is my obsession. It's where I keep all of my recipes. I know there's other uh, apps that do this same thing. But I love any list. You can import your recipes from websites and then add ingredients to a grocery list. I was just talking to my husband about picking up our Instacart order right (laughs) now. And it's like everything goes through any list and I love it. So Luke from Cooking at the Midwest and any list are my two loving latelys today. And that's it. Awesome. Okay. Is he, do you know, is he on Instagram too or just TikTok? Probably on Instagram too, I would imagine. Okay. Oh, that's great. I'm always up for new recipes. Yes. I mean, I only have one per, yeah, it's usually just the two of us unless one of the boys comes for dinner. So you would think it'd be a lot easier, which it is kind of to cook for just the two of us and yeah. not kids. But also sometimes it's just like, well, I don't, I don't know. Don't know what we're going to eat. I know. I know. That's um, why I have to plan ahead and get it on our little any list mm-hmm. too. I have a widget on my phone. And so that's Ooh, my meal plan nice. or my meal plan for the week. It's okay. all. Very I guess I am organized. I'm yeah. being organized. Yes. Yeah. You're very organized when it comes to meal planning, I think. Got to be. Otherwise, it's okay. like six <laughs> o'clock. I'm like, wow, we should have some food. I don't know. <laughs> all right. My loving lately is a Christmas gift I received from one of my sons, and I really like it. It's a washable and reusable canvas book cover. Very simple. I've never seen this before. A lot of book people might already know about these. He said, he said, oh, I Googled gifts for book lovers, and this seems really popular. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of it. So it's a, like I said, it's a canvas book cover. It's adjustable in size. So it, it's made for hardcover, I believe. But what I have in it right now actually is a journal. You can put a paperback in. It's fine. The width of the book cover is about 4.5 to 8. So it's adjustable. 
the height is about 8.5 inches. What I love about it, it has convenient pockets on the front for pens and one that's also big enough for your phone. If you want to slide that in or if you were taking it into the library and you wanted to toss in your library card or or your car keys or something like that. There's a ribbon bookmark to locate your pages easily. And then you can also use the book cover in two ways. It has an elastic band, so you can wrap that around the entire thing to keep the book and the cover closed, or you can use it as a normal book cover without the elastic band. I'm using the elastic band. I love it. Right now, I've I'm using it for my daily journal. So I have everything and I have that in there. I have my special pens my uh, on the outside and then tabs um, in case I want to tab anything. I'm ca- So I'm carrying the whole thing around in the mornings. I really like it. Um, he got me the yellow one. And that is a washable and reusable canvas book cover. I love it. I, oh, I might, you might have influenced me, but I'm doing a no spend January, alledgedly. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, add it to your February. It's reasonable. I but think literally, like- though, that's what I've been doing. I'm keeping a list. I'm like, okay, I saved $10 today because I didn't go get Taco Bell. And then I'm like, but what you're going to do is just punch it and then buy these things in February. <laughs> Listen, whatever. It is what it is. Um, uh, oh my gosh. Let me tell you about my latest read. This. It's not for the faint of heart. This is not for everyone. I enjoyed it. My latest read is Before and After by Andrew Shanahan. If you remember from our Books on the Radar episode, I said my current read was this book and it made me want to puke while I was reading it. Oh, yes. Visceral writing. Like, wow. Not at all for sensitive readers, but... This is a character-driven, post-apocalyptic story about 26-year-old Ben Stone. Ben is terrified. He weighs 601 pounds and needs his right leg amputated. And the book opens with firefighters in his home ready to load him on a crane that's going to lift him from his fourth floor flat into the ambulance waiting on the street below. And that's kind of the setup. All of this is upsetting enough, but he's also worried about Brown. Brown is his beloved dog. She is like his world. He's been a shut-in for the last nine years, but his mom brought him this dog to take care of, and they're best friends. And now he's worried about his health, but also about what would happen to his dog if he, you know, something happens during surgery. With all of this going on, he's strapped to the crane, or whatever, to the gurney, and then something happens. And it becomes very clear that an apocalyptic event is taking place while he's about to have this procedure. And the rest of the book is him trying his best to survive and to take care of his dog. I really, really liked this book. I thought it was human. I thought Ben was a very sympathetic character. I found myself thinking about him when I was not reading the book. I love the relationship with his dog. And the book is called Before and After because it's about before how he became to be a shut-in and after, after the apocalyptic event and kind of what he's doing now. It's reflective. Um, he shares thoughts about obesity and fatness in general. But again, I will say it's gory. So be mindful of that. But ultimately, I have to say, I thought it was a clever end-of-the-world story. I thought it was going to be straight-up horror going into it, and there are certainly horrific elements, but it's also, like I said at the beginning, character-driven. It was very interesting. It reminded me a bit of Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. So if you read that and enjoyed it, I think you would like this. It's got that unlikely hero to root for element. This was Before and After by Andrew Shanahan. Oh, okay. You said just enough, but also you left me really wondering about that. I I'm, feel like I need to know more. So I guess that means we have to read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds very interesting. I am also bringing one of my January books on the radar today, trying to start off the year with that. This one, my latest read is Holiday Country by Inge Attrick. If you remember from January books on the radar, this was the story that was about the young woman who goes to the Turkish seaside town to spend the summer with her mother and grandmother at the family's villa. Let me remind you that in the publishing blurb, they called this a seductive and lyrical debut following a young woman's dangerous summer romance during an idyllic vacation on the Aegean coast. Keep that in mind. I have very strong opinions about that publishing marketing blurb. So this one was about Ada and she she goes to this 
Turkish seaside town every summer. She's 19 at the time of this story, and she spends the summer this with her grandmother and her mother and just kind of frolicking, basically, enjoying the culture. Her mother is is from there, but they currently live in California. So there is very much an element to the story of how they feel comfortable within their own culture versus the culture that they're currently living in. Now, this summer, this particular summer that the story takes place, there's going to be a man that re-enters the picture, and his name is Levant, and he is a mysterious man from her mother's past. And he shows up suddenly in town, and Ada kind of thinks, oh, maybe this could be a chance for her mother to finally be happy, finally revisit a past love. Now, mind you, her mother's still married to her father, which we did not know about and um, just based on the synopsis. But while Ada is playing matchmaker, she starts to develop a feelings for Levant. So what does this mean for her mother, for her relationship with her mother, and the potential romance that could be had between either one of them and Levant? I'm going to leave it there. So I absolutely love the opening scene of the story. So the daughter, Ada, meets the man, Levant, in present day when she is swimming in the like crystal waters and it's we know it's summer. So this could be a really nice escape read during the winter. The setup was great. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We are we're we're in it. Tell me more about this meeting. Like he is mysterious, what's going on? Then The story does something structurally, which is not my favorite, which is go back to the past fairly abruptly. And for me, this always tends to feel like a bait and switch because I I was very into the present day. So what we do when we go to the past, which the story will continue to alternate present with the past. When we go to the past, we are learning about the history of Ada and her mother, the history of the relationship dynamics between Ada's mother and her mother, so the grandmother, and then the dynamics between all three of them. While I wasn't crazy about the abrupt changes, I do think this helps to set their relationship up to the reader But on the other hand, I was also a bit bored by this. This is definitely a slower paced book and story. The author is very heavy on relationship dynamics to the point of, you know, we find out about their dieting history and things like that. I'm not quite sure I needed to know that in order to understand the dynamics, but it's there. So as the story goes on, we learn basically about how Ada feels disconnected when she goes back to Turkey, which is her mother's country, and how she feels disconnected there, whereas her mother feels disconnected in California. So I liked the push-pull of how these women were trying to fit within a culture that was their own, but also not their own. Some of the things I did not enjoy were the heavy details on food and what was going on. You know how I am about food de- details. What was going on um, in like in the plane? And I, th- this just felt a little bit too heavy on details. What I would like to point out, I was I was invested enough to keep going, but I did feel bored quite a bit of the time. I think that the... The marketing blurb of dangerous, there, there's nothing dangerous about this story. I think that word does not even belong. So I think it was misleading. So I had to adjust my expectations throughout this story, which is why I'm letting you know that I don't think there's anything dangerous about this story. What I do think this story is, is a story about generational family dynamics especially those between mothers and daughters, one's home country and assimilation in another country. This is a story about feelings of displacement, trying to belong, coming of age. That's what it felt like to me. And I wish I would have went in expecting that versus 
expecting a romance involving a love triangle. That is not what this is. That is definitely not what this is. So I think if you can adjust your expectations, you can go into the story if you are in the mood for a family drama coming of age story. Know that that also the author tends to end the chapters sometimes very abruptly in mid-scene. And that, I think, was the detriment to the potential like sexual tension that could have been there and that was there just a little bit, but then it got cut off. And that's one of my biggest criticisms of the story. So um, overall, I liked it. I wish I would have went in with different expectations. So that was Holiday Country by Inge Ettrick. I really liked the setup of this one too. And I'm, yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you tried it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there's a place for it. I think it could be, like I said, if you're in the mood for what I just mentioned, but you'd rather read it on the beach and have the setting match, you know, then that could, it could work for that. Okay. All right, so let's take a quick break before we get into book talk. I'm LeVar Burton, and if you're ready to escape into another world for a little bit, check out my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. I read my favorite stories aloud every week by everyone from Stephen King to N.K. Jemisin to Toni Morrison. Plus, we add a little sound design and music to make it a truly immersive experience. Listen to LeVar Burton Reads wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So for today, we are talking reading tracking. And listen, there are so many different ways to do (laughs) reading tracking. I have probably sampled just about all of them. Actually, that's not true. So we decided we were going to do this. Of course, Renee did Renee and went (laughs) on a deep dive. Do you want to tell the listeners about some of the different trackers that you found? Believe me, uh, this is just... uh... This was like a a 15-minute research. I I can go deeper. (laughs) But in that short amount of time, let me tell you, and I will link to the two main articles I used for this, but listen to some of these. I really enjoyed this article about book trackers, and she put them in just a like less than one sentence summary. Okay, Bookworm Reads, which I've never heard of. This is a community-oriented book tracker. Almost all of these, I believe, are apps, too. So keep that in mind. The story graph, we've talked about that repeatedly. This is what I'm using. It's a data-oriented book tracker. Bookly, a habit-forming book tracker. Readerly, a review-centered book tracker. This one I haven't heard of. Copper, an author-centered book tracker. Basmo, I also haven't heard of, a self-improvement-centered book tracker, and then a few others. This is a different article that I found, but one that's called Book Breeze. And this one says, if you're looking for an app that will help you make reading goals and track your book progress, Book Breeze is one to try. This app will give you statistics, predictions, and visually show you your reading details. That sounds good. Here's another one. Have you heard of this, Tina, Book Sloth? I have not heard of Book Sloth. Okay, this one is a free app. It says it's basic and contains a smaller library of books to add to your list. The recommendations and large social aspect of this platform is great for those wanting to find new books to read and chat with others about books. So, I mean, a potential new social type of book tracker. There are more. Like I said, I will link to those. But I did not realize there are so many book tracking apps along with the tons of free spreadsheets that are out there for if you want to do like a spreadsheet book tracker, which we've been talking about this a lot in our Facebook group. And they've been sharing, some people have been sharing links to some free YouTube reading trackers. And I do know that Book Riot also has a free reading tracker. Yes, there are a lot of options out there if you are a spreadsheet kind of person. I didn't hear you mention the app that I use. I use Bookmory. I didn't think that was on the list. That was not on the, no, I I remember, I figured you would talk about that, but no, that was not on these lists. See, I mean, the options are literally Mm -hmm. endless. And yes, the way that I track my reads, I use Bookmory. That's just my quick... In my phone, I add a book that I'm reading, and you can just jot down notes if you're on the fly. I use that one pretty regularly. I use the Story Graph, of course. Mm-hmm. That's my 
always up to date one. I am using Goodreads this year, but what I'm doing is kind of at the end of each month, that's when I'll go in and update my Goodreads. And then my favorite way to track reading, which I showed Renee yesterday, it's my physical book journal. I've been book journaling early in 2024, and it's been so fun. But book journaling, if if you just Google on any social media page or even Google book journal, it'll come up with different spreadsheets. I'd be happy to share my spreads somewhere um, in our Facebook group for patrons or elsewhere. But this is what I like about it. You can customize to do anything. I mean, I have a ton of different spreads. It's a stress reliever for me. It's been really fun. Primarily, though, the things that I'm keeping track of, I'm in the actual journal part. Title, author, genre. I'm trying to get better about writing down the recommendation source. Like, where did I hear about this book? My star rating. I'm also keeping track of book mail. I want to do a good job about writing down every time I get books. NetGalley, one of my goals is to get closer to 80% because I'm not near it. I want to do better about actually submitting my reviews, tracking book of the month picks, and then diversity of authors, own voices, and whether or not they were debut. Mm -hmm. Book tracking is a separate hobby from reading. (laughs) It's like an additional hobby, which has been really fun. And really your book journal, you said it's a bullet journal, which I couldn't tell looking at the pictures, but based on what you were showing me, I would have sworn that they were already printed mm-hmm. and, and they, you made you those all them. yourself. I it did. was so, yeah, it was really cool. I wish that you would make me one and send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because, I'll set it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> because I love that, but I'm just not taking the time to do something like that, but I would love to have it. What I'm doing right now, because I'm trying to be so simple so that I'll actually follow it, I'm using the story graph, but I'm also using the app which I didn't use last year. I'm oh. using the app in real time. And I, I decided to gift to myself their Plus subscription. So I did a year, which was $50. Now, the reason I did that is because I'm going to use this for a way to get really in-depth book recommendations. And I want to support the story graph. The way that their algorithm and everything works, it is to my benefit to support them. So what I'm doing is first, when I finish a book, it goes in my notes app under the reading month, January. I'll put the title, I'll put the author, I will immediately put my star rating. From there, at the at the end of the week or the end of two weeks, I will go and add all of those books into my story graph. And now I'm additionally adding tags, which I did not do last year. So for example, I'm using a tag where I will put in the publisher because that's what I want to track. And then the story graph is going to keep track of all of that for me. But because I also put the app on my home page of my phone, the very first page, that way it's there. And those are the only two things I am doing right now to track. That's a lot, though. I'm glad that you're tracking publishers because I know you said that's one of the things mm-hmm. that you're interested in. And tell us again why, what about tracking publishers appeals to you? Because I had such success with Penguin Random House in 2023 and several of their imprints. I feel like for me, if I narrow in on the publisher or at least be aware of the publisher, I can filter books pretty quickly. And I don't know why, like that works better for me than necessarily tracking. I don't track recommendation sources. I would, I'm going to try to do a little bit better on that, but because I am such a heavy researcher and I am constantly looking for books, Mm -hmm. for me, if I pay attention to the publisher, I can quickly decide, okay, Little Brown, like I have mentioned, Little Brown was a success for me in 2023. So I'm going to pay more attention to what books they have coming out in 2024 as just a way to filter and try to get new books on my radar. Publishers that maybe I have not had that much success with, which in 2023, one of those, I I didn't have much success with Berkeley Books. So, you know, I'm just using this as a guide for myself. Yeah, I think that's really smart. That's kind of the same way I'm using my, hopefully, recommendation source, like to just pay attention. Okay, where did I hear this about this Mm -hmm. book from? Whether it's a person, article, website, whatever, podcast. Although 
you sometimes are the one that's <laughs> influencing me <laughs> with some of the books that you bring. I just think it's fun. We would love to hear too about how you all are tracking your reads, what things are important to you. Don't give me any new ideas though, because my journal's complete <laughs> and I don't need to be adding any more pages, but I definitely will share some photos of that. Anything else to wrap up book tracking? I think it's important, like make it fun. Do not have tracking be something that is one more thing on your to-do list that yes. stresses you out. You don't yes. even have to track. No. Um, you don't have not, to. If it doesn't blow your hair back, don't <laughs> right. do it. It's very, it is, I've honestly been obsessed. Like I, and I don't say that word lightly. I'm like, babe, you got to get a grip. Like I've been like thinking, like, how can I get, <laughs> get back to my journal so I can fill it out? But like, pay attention to that. If it really lights you up and gets you excited, like it's okay to lean into hobbies, even though in my mm-hmm. head, I'm like, this is silly. You could be doing other stuff, but it's a stress reliever and allow yourself to have that sort of thing, even if it is book tracking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you only track one thing, that's fine. If that's you don't, right. yeah, it, it's whatever you want. I love that tracking is so customizable. Oh my you just gosh. do, do yes. what you want, do what brings you joy and delights you. Yes. And yeah. And okay, Roske. That's it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I know. You said I it. said it. I brought him up. I said it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's okay. talk about our winter reads. I have two really, really good ones. Like, I will go ahead. I mean, they're damn near five star. Okay. Ooh. So oh, they're ooh. really good books. That's exciting. Okay. Number one is another apocalypse book. Forgive me. It's The Drift by C.J. Tudor. I was so into this book. It is a survival thriller that follows three ordinary people who risk everything to survive. You start with Hannah. She awakens to carnage. There is a bus that has crashed. And she wakes up and she's like, what is going on? They had been escaping from a boarding school and I guess went over and crashed in one of the year's heaviest snowstorms. And it's trapped her inside with a handful of survivors, and there is a virus afoot. And you know this from the very beginning. This is how I knew the book was for me. It was so gross. I was delighted. I was like, oh my gosh. But again, you will know if this book is for you. If you like apocalyptic, if you like virus stories, like this is a really, really good one. So you've got Hannah, right? Then you've got Meg. She is a former detective, and she wakes up to gentle rocking because she's in a cable car suspended far above a snowstorm and surrounded by strangers in the same uniform as her with no memory of how she got there. So that's the second group. Third group is Carter. Carter is looking out the window of an abandoned ski chalet that he and his ragtag compatriots call home. They are there manufacturing vaccines against a deadly virus in exchange for life's essentials. Okay? So that's the whole setup over there. Their generator, though, is failing, and somebody needs to eventually fix it and they're getting a little bit worried about their supplies. So it follows each of these three points of view. It's pretty short chapters. So there wasn't one point of view that I was more invested than the other. I was hooked here. And then I was like, oh, gosh, now we're at Carter. But wait, what's Carter doing? Oh, now we're over here. So like, it was cool to be excited at each area. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did a great job of seamlessly weaving the three points of views together. There's a fair amount of characters. And you all know I get a little bit squirrely when there's too many people, but I never felt confused because it was so action-packed. And she still crafted characters that I cared about. That's a fine balance to walk, I think, and I thought she did a great job. I love when authors go there, and I will say, don't get attached to any one person. Just It's an apocalypse, folks, so, you know, things happen. (laughs) (laughs) And she takes it all the way. I loved it. This was my first book by her. I will definitely seek her out again. It was a five-star read for me. A great, great thriller. It's The Drift by C.J. Tudor. Ooh, okay, good. And quick shout out to the Paper Bee Princess on Instagram. Eva is one of our patrons and a friend. She had said she knew within the first three pages this was an immediate note for her because it was an apocalypse with a (laughs) virus. I was like, ooh, that that makes me want to read it. So she was my recommendation source, and I ended up loving it. Oh, isn't that a perfect example of how still share a book that isn't for you? Because like someone else listening might be like, that's for me. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It's not for you, but it could be for me. So Mm -hmm. yes, I thought that was... I love that. Okay. My first winner read is also from a recommendation from... Well, let me tell you the story, but it was a recommendation. So it's called The Second Stranger by Martin Griffin. And I have to tell you how this came to be on my radar. I received back in September, September 8th, I received a message from listener Michaela on Instagram 
and a very nice message. And she said, I basically, I know you love research and I know you love mysteries and thrillers. I wonder if you can help me. Um, several months ago, I read about a thriller that sounded so good, but I forgot to write down the author or title. It's about a woman who's the last employee in a hotel before a big snowstorm hits. Maybe it's in Scotland, question mark. There's a knock on the door, and it's a police officer who's been in a car accident, and the prisoner he was transporting is on the run. Can he come in and get shelter from the storm? After a while, there's a new knock on the door, and it's a police officer that's been in a car accident, and the prisoner he was protecting is on the run. Can he come in from the storm? And then she said, do you recognize this story? And I was like, oh, okay. I immediately thought of the Sundown Motel by Simone St. James, but she said, no, that is not it. So I did some research. I could not find anything. And when we ended our chat on Instagram on September 13th, she said she would let me know if she figured it out. Okay. Cut to this past Saturday. I'm walking at the park, listening to samples, trying to find another winter read for this episode. I get a message from Michaela and she said, I found the book. It was, and she sent me a link. It was The Second Stranger. And I looked, I read about it and I was like, oh my gosh, I already thought this sounded so good, which I had said to her, this sounds good. If you ever find out, let me know. So here it is. I grabbed the audio and the ebook on Scribd, which is now called Everand. And I started the audio and it turns out this was a perfect winner read. So how she described it to me, that is really the basic setup. And I'm not going to tell you much more except to say This is a locked room suspense thriller that is set in the remote Scottish Highlands where icy temperatures and a terrible blizzard prevent any ideas of escape. So what you have, you have a woman named Remy and it is one bitterly cold February night and she is working her last night at the remote McKinnon Hotel. It is her last shift at the front desk as the snow begins to fall because she has booked a one-way flight the next day. She is leaving and she is never coming back to Scotland, or so she thinks. And then she does get that knock at the door and she does ask for ID. He shows her an ID that his, his name is Officer Gaines and he is injured, like he's had a car accident. The prisoner has escaped. Not a few hours later, same thing happens again with a different man. So who is the prisoner? Who is the cop? And then there are two other guests who are still at the hotel who were checking out the next day. So you have a very small number of people, but you have a lot happening. This was British narration for the audiobook. It was great. There was nothing exceptional, nothing that bugged me, except for one of my words that... I can't stand that was used several times. Skitter. Skitter. Skittering. I'm sorry. I know. I've gotten a lot of messages about that. I'm sorry I point that out to people, but it does bug <laughs> it does bug me. Um, this is a this is a great winner read. When I say that setup, it is just the tip of the iceberg because things start to happen. People start to show their true selves, or do they? Who is the bad guy and who is going to be saved, who is going to be saved. The thing that's really interesting about this story, because it, it's a thriller, but what ends up happening, which sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. I seem to have this in all three of my books today. Because this is a thriller, I was very heavily into the present day. It will, again, cut to things and go back to the past with Remy and her brother, Cam. And the thing is, is it goes back to the past. Her brother, Cam, was in prison at the prison where this police officer was transporting another prisoner from. Her brother had been there and he had been killed in a prison riot. So you go back to the past to find out what was the situation with her brother. Was it necessary? Yeah, it was necessary, but The way that it was structured, it could have been different, but I don't know how it could have been different. For example, we're in thrilling action scenes in the present day, and then it cuts to the past. So that does, for me, break up 
the pace and it kind of makes the the tension and the suspense go down. So that's my biggest criticism. I thoroughly enjoyed this story. I spent the whole entire time guessing. The author does a great job of calling the officer and the and the prisoner who is who gains one and gains two. And I could not figure out who was who. The author anticipated that the readers are smart enough to stick with the story. The author trusted me, the reader, to play along, to stay on top of the puzzle. Ah, I just love that. He did not dumb down anything, and I could not figure out what was going on. I really liked Remy. I thought she was smart. Like She wasn't naive. She did what she was supposed to do. I just thought the author covered the bases really well. This was a great puzzle, a great thriller slash mystery, and an awesome setting for the winner. So this one was The Second Stranger by Martin Griffin. Hey, I feel like, did you say the Scottish Highlands? Mm-hmm. That's a great, yes. I don't know why, in my brain, that's a great setting for wintry reads. Yeah, it was perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I think mine was British narration too. Oh, really? But the setting wasn't that important because it was like a world apocalypse, but I'm pretty sure it was like in Europe somewhere in the mountains. But anyway, let me tell you about book two. Book two is The Frozen River by Ariel Lahan. This is a historical mystery inspired by the life and diary of Martha Ballard, who was an 18th century midwife. And her claim to fame was uh, having delivered a ton of babies and never losing a mother. And she's a real person. I thought that was fascinating. It starts in Maine in 1789, and it opens with a crime. The Kennebec River has frozen, and a man is stuck there in the ice. Martha Ballard is a midwife, and she's a medical professional, so she is called to the bar where he is being held to examine the body and determine his cause of death. She, again, midwife, a healer, and is privy to a lot of what goes on behind closed doors in their town. And she kept a very meticulous diary of every birth, every death, every crime and debacle that unfolded in the close-knit community. So she has her sources. She's kind of in the know of what's going on in the community. And months earlier, she had documented the details of an alleged rape committed by two of the town's most respected men one of whom has now been found dead in the ice. Then a new physician comes to town. He's a Harvard man. He makes it very known that he trained at Harvard. And he undermines her conclusion. He's like, oh, it was an accident, even though there is evidence, direct evidence to the contrary. So she feels compelled to investigate the murder on her own. And it follows her over the course of one very long winter as the trial is coming nearer and nearer. There's whispers, there's prejudices. She is relentless. She is relentless in her desire to uncover the truth. And she has personal connection to it. Then her diary becomes evidence and it implicates some people. I'll leave it at that. This is a, I thought it was a fascinating story. I can barely believe that she is a real person because you reading this as a woman, as a mother, will be pissed off about how women (laughs) were treated and undermined at every turn. For example, she wasn't allowed to be in the courtroom, even though it was a part of her job without her husband or father present. I shouldn't be surprised, but it was a stark reminder. I thought this was a good job of giving us the day-to-day, giving us real elements, but also giving us a tender story about this woman who previously was not that well known. I know in our we chose this as our community read for December and one of our patrons is from Maine. She's like I have never heard of her. <laughs> I'm from Maine and like this was not something that was brought up. I listened to the audio, thought the audio was great. The only piece for me personally that I was like, "Ah, eh, I don't know that I needed it was the flashbacks because it would mm-hmm. flash back to her husband and how they met. And we under, we came to understand her background too, but it took me a little bit out of it. I don't know that we necessarily needed it, but you know, I appreciate it. The journal entries at first were off, not off-putting, but like, okay, I get it. I understand. But now I know she was pulling from real sources, so I appreciate it more. Her author's note was excellent. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really, really helped me understand the story. And at first I was like, some of the side quests, I get a little 
tricky about amateur detectives. And that's what it felt like. She was talking to this person. She's over here meddling. She's over here. But it was charming. It gave her it gave her a full picture. It really helped us see her as a full person. Don't be fooled, though. The living during this time period was absolutely devastating. We come to find out Martha and she was a mother, you know, she was married and what happened to several of her children. It made this book made me cry in more than one spot. I thought there was a pretty strong villain or a foil to Martha in the ending. I just put it this way in my notes, I wrote in all caps because <laughs> <laughs> I was bowled over. And it made me again want to do the thing that I want to do and Google and figure out okay, were they really friends with this person? And like what happened during this time period? I Highly recommend this book. I quite enjoyed the reading experience, and it was The Frozen River by Ariel Lahan. Right. I I also read that one for our community read. I agree, Martha was the star of the story. I also agree that the flashbacks really took me out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't need it. But, you know, hey, it wasn't our book. Right. <laughs> so, no. let, you know. Right. I think the, um, the author's note... I wouldn't have wanted to read that first, but it was absolutely necessary to read it. Once I read the author's note, I was like, oh, okay, now I know why the story felt like I was sometimes reading so many details from a diary entry because we were. Yeah, (laughs) She Mm -hmm. actually used real diary entries, which, I mean, the amount of research that went into the story had to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so. All right, my next winter read is the first book I've read by this author, but it will not be my last, In the Midst of Winter by Isabel Allende. This one is set in Brooklyn during the biggest snowstorm in living memory. And we have Richard Baumaster, a lonely university professor in his 60s. And he goes out one day because he has to. I really liked the setup. He has to. His cat, something happens to his cat and he has to get to the emergency vet. And while out, he accidentally hits the car of Evelyn Ortega. She is a young, undocumented immigrant from Guatemala. And what at first seems like an inconvenience, I mean, it's not a horrible accident. It ends up taking a more serious turn when Evelyn comes to his house seeking help. And Richard is at a loss. He does not he does not quite understand how to communicate with her, although he does a little bit, but he's not understanding why she's there. So he ends up calling his tenant who lives downstairs, Lucia, and she is a fellow academic from Chile. And he calls her and he's like, "Can you come up? I need I need help. Can you help me communicate with Evelyn? You know, here's the story." So, she comes up and the story takes off because these three people's lives will intertwine and we will get to discover truths about how they have been shaped by the tragedies they have witnessed. And potentially there is going to be a love story that develops along the way. And in this story, there are themes of political injustice, the art of survival, and the essential nature of love. The structure of the story was genius. What didn't work for me in the other stories worked for me in this one. I think it was the way that this author chose to write the story. Because once these three people come together in his apartment, remember, we've got this horrible snowstorm brewing. And so there is something that we find out about Evelyn's situation that just propels the story in more of a, if you can believe it, a thriller mystery type of way, which I had no idea when I started this story. And I was like, what a pleasant surprise that we have this kind of side thing going on. But for me, I was like, oh, I am fascinated. So the story is going to take us from present day Brooklyn to Guatemala in the recent past, to 1970s Chile and Brazil. So we have some traveling going on. We get to dive deep into each character, which on the surface, because I was so into the present day, you would have thought based on also what I've said about the other books that I did not want to go back to the past timelines. But every single time we went back 
to each of the person's histories, I was 100% invested. There are some dark scenes. So I do want to mention just, I'm not going to list content warnings. If you'd like to know more, you can definitely message me. There are some dark things happening, especially with Evelyn's past. Very traumatic, very traumatic, like gang violence and things like that. It's really traumatic. Oh, something I want to mention that I think helped me really connect and become intricately involved with each character. The audio is excellent and there are three narrators. So each character has a distinct voice, which helped with the language and the words and just having everything really flow. And I felt like each character was telling me their story. So what ended up on the surface seeming like this could be a like a character-driven drama, ended up being a genre mashup. There is historical fiction, there is mystery, there is romance in this story, and it 100% worked on every level. I binged this story. I loved it. It is In the Midst of Winter by Isabel Allende. Nice. Good review. I have not heard of that one. I love this. I would like to say, I know she has an extensive backlist. I I know that she is a, a celebrated author. If our listeners have other recommendations for where I go next with her backlist, I would like to know because I want to read more by her. All right. Well, good. Let's wrap things up with our shelf additions. And I have a new book from Mateo Escarapur. I loved his book, Black Buck. This came out, I read it on New Year's Eve a couple years ago, and I absolutely loved it. I don't hear much about it, but his new book comes out in 2024. It's called The Great Hemisphere. This one's going to come out in July on the 9th. And it sounds like a bit of a departure. I think his last book was more, I don't know, I would just call it like contemporary fiction. This one is labeled under science fiction. And it is a speculative novel about a young woman invisible by birth and relegated to second-class citizenship, who sets off on a mission to find her older brother, who she presumed dead, but now is the primary suspect in a high-profile political murder. Okay. Despite the odds, Sweet Mint, a young invisible woman, has done everything right in her entire life, school, university, and now a highly sought-after apprenticeship with the Northwestern Hemisphere's premier inventor, a non-invisible man belonging to the dominant population who is as eccentric as he is enigmatic. That's a sentence. But now the world she has fought so hard to build after the disappearance of her older brother comes crashing down when authorities claim that not only is he alive and well, he's the main suspect of the murder of the chief executive of the Northern Hemisphere. A manhunt ensues and Sweet Mint, armed with courage, intellect, and an unwavering love for her brother, sets off on a mission to find him before it's too late. With five days until the Hemisphere's big election, Sweet Mint must dodge a relentless law officer who's determined to maintain order and an ambitious politician with sights set on becoming the next chief executive by any means necessary. This has got the captivating world-building of N.K. Jemisin's novels and the blazing defiance of Naomi Alderman's work. It's a novel that brilliantly illustrates the degree to which reality can be shaped by non-truths and vicious manipulations while shining light on our ability to surprise ourselves when we stop giving in to the narratives others have written for us. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. interested. I'm I'm with you, Mateo. Tell me the story that you want to tell me. I am curious, and I, I really like the cover. It looks like the invisible girl is sort of on the front of it. It's very interesting. And this book is The Great Hemisphere by Mateo Escarapur. Okay. All right. My shelf edition is Private Equity, a memoir by Carrie Sun, and it comes out February 13th. This is a memoir about one woman's self-discovery inside a top Wall Street firm. It's also going to be an urgent indictment of privilege, extreme wealth, and work culture. So when we first meet Carrie Sun, she can't shake the feeling that she's wasting her life. She is the daughter of Chinese immigrants, and she had excelled in school, graduated early from MIT, climbed the corporate ladder, all in pursuit of the American dream. But at 29, she's left her analyst job, dropped out of an MBA program, and is trapped in an unhappy engagement. 
But then she gets the rare opportunity to work at one of the most prestigious hedge funds in the world, and she knows she can't say no. And 14 interviews later, she's in. She becomes the sole assistant to the firm's billionaire founder, and she manages his work life, becoming the right hand to an investor who can move mountains and markets with a single phone call. So she ends up diving headfirst into the firm's culture, which values return on time above all else. And a luxury-laden world opens up to her, and she learns eventually that money can solve nearly everything. So she's playing the game at the highest levels amid the ultimate winners in our winner-take-all economy when she finds herself swallowed whole by work. It's not long before her physical and mental health begins to deteriorate, and she begins to rethink what it actually means to waste one's life. This memoir is going to examine her story, which is going to illuminate the struggle for balance in a world of extremes, efficiency and excess, status and aspiration, power and fortune. I think this sounds really good. Um, It's being billed that she is a dazzling new voice and she is daring to ask what we're willing to sacrifice to get to the top. This one is Private Equity, a memoir by Carrie Sun. All right. Sounds good. Well, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at etc at gmail.com. You can also find us at etc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc. And me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. under an hour. See, we can do it sometimes.